you have no idea what's about to happen. And we, we I have no idea what we're about to talk about. One I'm of kind my... of scared because, you know, on my YouTube channel, I'm, I'm pretty scripted. So this is, um, this is scary. Just think comfort zone with a line through it. Now we'll make it, we'll make it painless. Uh, I've, because I interview people for a living, I look to the great interviewers of the past for inspiration and, and uh, mentorship. And one of my favorites of all time is a guy called Jack Parr. Now, you're still okay. a young man, David. You might not remember, but Jack Parr was the predecessor of Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah. And he was kind yeah. of the picture of urbane, uh, mellifluous speaking uh, smoothness. And one of the writers <laughs> of, on his show was a guy called Dick Cavett. He, Dick Cavett wrote for, for Jack Parr. And his advice uh -huh. when Dick started his own show was, don't make it an interview. Now I've done that instinctively, but that kind of resonates with me not to make it, not not to make it an interview, rather just uh, just chatting. So for folks who have no idea who you are, you and I met at an event I spoke at in in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, which I remember. Yep. And but I'd seen yep. you on on social media platforms, and I knew that you had uh, obtained a master's degree in theology. What I didn't know, sure. I've since learned, is that you've written a lot about the Masonic Lodge, like black. Masonic Lodge, fraternal. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so many different ways to describe it. Um, I right. was just talking last night with um, one of the Coffin Nation members um, yeah. about masonry and how, how they're very hard to spot. It's sort of like trying to nail invisible jello to the wall because there's the plausible deniability that they even exist nowadays. You know, you, as, uh -huh. as I know, you know, some Catholics are very casual about which group they belong to and, and the Masons oh, are kind of yeah. stay under the radar. But what else? Tell yeah. us. Tell us about, I know you've got a, a new book on the mass, and maybe you can explain to me what an what an exordium is. It sounds like like a gastrointestinal <laughs> pill that you can get over the counter. <laughs> what is that? It was it was it was really just a a, a, a fancy way to get um, to not use the word introduction, right? It's really gotcha. an exordium just means introduction to the theology of the mass. But I tried not to be re redundant because um, the mass has an introduction, has an introductory right. Yep. Um, for the same reason, the first section of the book is not a preface; it's a proem, because hmm. the mass has a preface. So I was just making these little um, distinctions, but yeah, just a fancy word for introduction. I like those elegant words. I one mass I really like attending, and I've only been to one. I'm sad to say, is the ordinariate mass. Their their mass uh, in liter in uh, their the language used in that liturgy is beautiful, um, mm -hmm. and it, I, I like the word collect. Right. Something lovely right, about right. that, the opening collect prayers. Because right. it's got that sense of you're collecting yourself too, right? You're you're devoting yeah. this time to something sacred. Have um, you ever been to a, a Dominican Rite Missa Cantata? Never. Not one time. Okay, I wonder if it's, it's something like the ordinate thing, because I've never been to that. But um, Dominican, the Dominican Missa Cantata, which I, at St. Dominic's at Youngstown, Youngstown, Ohio, where you yep. visit it, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they they do them there. I think once a year. So yeah, very amazing, right? Do they? Uh, so it's like the the ordinary forum, but a lot of singing and maximal use of Latin. Is that part of the charism of it? It is, and it's very long, at least two hours long. So oh. um, a lot of standing up and sitting. By the time you, you leave there, you you you've have done um, a full workout routine. Um, yes, a lot of standing and kneeling. So, <laughs> so yeah. we call it slow moving ADHD. It's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's no, no no fast movements. Um, right. I, I want to turn to questions, but uh, a little bit more about you. You're um, uh, revert. What's it, what's the 
convert. I'm sorry, oh. Dave. What did you start out life as? Because I love when people say, I was born Catholic. No, you weren't. You were baptized after you were born. But go ahead. <laughs> convert <laughs> yeah, from I what? Like that. Ca- yeah, I like that distinction <laughs> right there. You have to use that. Yeah, I was um my, my pa- I was raised in a very Protestant family. Um my family was so Protestant. How, how Protestant were they? they? Yeah. They were so Protestant, all of them belonged to a different Protestant denomination. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> That's better than a yo mama so fat joke. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. So and my and my mother, she was really the gem of them all because mom sometimes she would be a Baptist. Sometimes she would be a Jehovah Witness, but also really? sometimes she would be a Jew. I remember going to temple with her, and I remember that's where I learned how to say shalom all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we were all over the place. So yeah, by the time I got to college, I was I was just confused, just just confused. That's really Protestant. If you're going from like a, a Baptist to it, wow, all the way to yeah. Jewish with the Messiah, right. without the Messiah, who's to know? <laughs> Right on. So, so what? What yeah. did you have a two by four whack to the side of the head that made you a Catholic? How did you? How did you come up? I, I, I had a, it was a two by four. Was really made me realize that Jesus is real because I, I could finally deny Jesus ever existed. I, I mm-hmm. completely, completely thought he was utterly fiction, um, something that people just made up along the way to control people, and um, and so this is who I was, and this is really how I was more, I. I like to say I was agnostic, but I was really Patrick. I was really more um, anti-Christian. That's mm-hmm. what I was. I just like Christians were stupid. Um, they said they had the same Bible. They said they all believed in the same God, same Holy Spirit, but they yep. were fighting with one another about what's true. So um, right that's so that, that's how I really. So that's how I landed into in, into Freemasonry, and um, there I was comfortable as an agnostic, and there also I um. That, that was really my my truth. Masons will deny that Freemasonry is a religion, but Anderson's Constitution, which guides Freemasonry, says that Freemasonry mm-hmm. is a, a religion. Well, let, let's and, I'd um, like, so, go ahead. Just yeah. So like, by the time, um, so at, at one point in time, you know, I was really bad place in my life. Decisions, the type of decisions you make when you're your own god, catch up with you. And so I was in a place of deep suffering, about to commit, trying to commit suicide, and um, in the process of trying to suffocate myself with a bag over my head and a rope around my neck, trying to turn it, trying to make it tight. About the second I have turned, I hear a voice. And the voice says, I love you. I am here. And as you would do when you hear a voice, you say, who said that? You know, you look around Mm -hmm. and there was no one there. And then asking that question in my head, I knew it somehow just knew it was, Jesus? (laughs) Jesus? <laughs> right. So, like the disciples who knew it was him, but they didn't really want to say. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who else, could, who else could it be kind of thing? Right. So, yeah, yeah. that's my, that's, that's off. That, that was the, the, the hammer over their head, as you say, the anvil that dropped on my head as if I was on Wadi Coyote. So. And uh, on the side, you got the word Acme, which led you somewhere. Yeah. Were you <laughs> baptized anything as a, as a Protestant Jehovah's Witness, Jew, atheist, Gnostic? I was <laughs> gymnastic. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, after I, beca- after I realized Jesus was real, the next thing was, well, I'm reading the Bible now. And so, okay, baptism, got to get baptized. Um, so I got baptized when I was a Protestant by default. Because I think in this yeah. country, is, I think that's what you do after you become a Christian. You realize, yeah. oh, 
you know, you're, by default, you're Protestant. So, yeah, I was, I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit a year mm-hmm. after that. Um, you know, still reading the Bible. We're like, oh, okay, Jesus started a church. got to join a church. Can't forsake the assembly. Which church? And so I went mm-hmm. for a, a search for the churches of the Bible. Like a lot of people used to interview over at um, Catholic Answers. And um, mm-hmm. um, that's how I found um, found my way home. Um, was it the Eucharist? Was it the Blessed Virgin Mary? Because a lot of, uh, as I know you know, there are, there are the proportion of black Americans who are mm. Catholics— are far far smaller than those who are Protestants. Um, right. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I'm not even <laughs> sure if I'm permitted to ask the question. But oh, it's too late. <laughs> Look what I did. Why do you, why do you think that is? Is it is it that uh, black families traditionally have been very strong, tight knit, and kind of um, much more likely to keep traditions in, kind of in the family and and uh, maybe discourage wandering outside because the the Christian faith uh, provided such a strong um, affirmation of identity and community. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a little bit, a little bit of all of that. But also, I think there's three main things. I think one, um, there's, uh, I think Black Americans, I think we're predisposed to just think Catholics are doing something completely different mm-hmm. than what um, Protestants or what Christians they would say are doing. Yeah. And so there's just not that that interest to even ask the question. Um, two, there's, um, I think there's a stigma there um, due to a long history of the Catholic Church and the black community. Um, whereas there's have always, for a very long time, there's been a lot of Catholic schools mm-hmm. in neighborhoods that became black, right? Yeah. And... But the relationship there, especially with Catholic high schools, was like, um, sure, blacks in the community, come play basketball for this team or come play football for us. Mm-hmm. But we haven't really tried to reach out and to evangelize the students um, or their or their families. Yeah, so there's families, just, yeah, yeah there's, some, there's maybe some usury there and there's just, some, you know, the Catholics are doing this, we're doing this. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think third, even I think third, we do have a lot of predominantly black Catholic churches. I think we do, especially in cities. Um, yeah. When I was in Columbus, I was talking to a pastor there. Um, this is at St. Dominic's, and we were talking just about this conversation. And I was, and I noticed in his parish that the members there, none of them lived in this predominantly black neighborhood. They all come, they all came in from the suburbs. And I was interested in finding out what are the Catholics of that parish doing to reach the people who are right across the street right, in, right. in this, in this neighborhood. And there's just no outreach whatsoever. That's, that's um, universal. To, for a I, black I've, Catholic. That's, that's yeah, true. Black Catholics it's, attempting yeah. to reach not uh, black Catholics mm-hmm. trying to reach black Protestants. That's yeah. So we have an issue ourselves, you know? Gotcha. No, I, I think it's, it's sad that, that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons have kind of owned the brand of going door to door to ask you about your faith. Um, if a Catholic knocked on my door to ask me about my Catholic faith, uh, there would be cold beer served, and I would give these people a hug, saying, "This phenomenal." I mean, it's it does take mm-hmm. a certain holy boldness to do that. Um, you don't have to do it in a in a kind of a you know aggressive way. You can say, "Hey, I'm fr- I'm I'm Patrick Coffin from Saint So and So Parish." Uh, we're just here to to solicit anything you want us to pray for. You, I understand you're mm-hmm. Catholic, so you're on the on the official list. Because and I know you know this. 
when people have been away from the church for a long, long time, or they come late to the faith, and you ask them, hey, well, what took you so long? And invariably they'll say, nobody invited me. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you could you could ask a lot of men in their parish who aren't Catholic. They come there with their wives, and I bet you nine nine times out of ten, you ask them, "Well, well how come you never become Catholic?" And they say, "Well, I never, never been. No one ever asked me that." You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get a lot of that. Um, behind you, I see a picture of a, uh, Father Augustus Tolton, sometimes yeah. called Gus. Uh, how did you hear about him? Because th- for folks who don't know. Father Tolton's story. There is a, there's a movie yet to be made. It's a little kind of surprising he's not better known, because uh, I, I love that story arc. It's so lovely. <clears throat> so who is Father Augustus Tolton? Um, so I, I found out about him. I think when I was still in, in Youngstown. I'm in St. Louis now, mm-hmm. near near to where he where he where right. he was. He spent time as a priest in, in Springfield, Illinois, and, and then Illinois, and then um, Chicago, Illinois, yeah. as well. Um, kind of yeah, Quincy, he, I think. Yeah, Quincy. Yeah, Quincy. And so he was, I believe, his parents. He was. He's born into slavery. Mm-hmm. I think that is something you could be born into, not like being born a Catholic. <laughs> right. um, You're not baptized <laughs> a slave, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so he he was he was born into it, and um, um, then became free, and he eventually um decided to discern that he was called to be a priest. And he couldn't find a seminary here in the United States, um, so I believe it was to Rome they sent him. And um, so he was ordained and, and came back. And I think he didn't. His ministry was not in Quincy. He eventually found his his ministry in in Chicago, mm-hmm. and had a strong community there of, of black Catholics. And so I always just admired him, just because his perseverance um, of knowing his calling and sticking with it, yeah. and fortitude. The challenges that he faced with people who did not want him to follow his calling. Yep. And um, so perseverance and fortitude were just two qualities of this, this of of of, um, of um, Father Augustus Tolton that I admire greatly. So I work with um, um, a bishop in Chicago, um, name just escaped me at this moment. So we we um, designed wrote put together a novena. To yeah. Father Augustus Tolton for the spiritual welfare of the black community. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we put together a website, toltonovena.org, and so a lot more information there. Okay. And a novena um, for prayers specifically directed to um, the spiritual needs of the black community. Some of the same things that he um, um, sought while he was a priest here um, there in um, Chicago. Uh, was that toltonovena.org? Yeah, toltonovena.org. Novena.org. By the way, I know the bishop's name. Uh, his name is Tobit. Your Your Eminence. Your Eminence. <laughs> no, I'd be Your Excellency. I get it wrong. I like the story, I just, just to linger on Father Tolton for a second, he couldn't find a seminary to take him in the United States. They just were not ready for right. that. And um, so he goes to Rome. He learns French. He's got to speak Latin because most of the education in the seminary in Rome was Latin. And he intends to right. go to Africa as a missionary. And then the story goes in the biography that I read, that the night before, he gets communicated, because uh, he had, a, he had a, a cardinal in Rome who kind of protected him, took him under his wing, and then I uh, said, uh, Gus, come back to the States. after you. I've got a home for you here. So he didn't go to Africa. He went back to the, to the United States. And yeah. uh, talk about a fish out of water. Uh, most blacks are Protestant. He's weird. He's a, he's a papist. But most 
most, if not all, Catholics, everyone was, was Irish or Lithuanian or, you know, Polish or German. So he was an anomaly everywhere. Um, and didn't he yeah. die, basically die on his feet? He died of exhaustion, I want to say, during a heat wave at age 42. He just kind of just... Yeah, he was, he was yeah. young. Yeah. I mean, very young. Um, so, yeah, remarkable, remarkable, man. And I know what it feels like um, to be never finding your home, you know, because... Yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm Catholic. Also, I'm politically conservative, right? And so even my wife says I'm not. Even my wife says I'm not black. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, culturally black. And so, uh, I mean, this is this is there's so many things. I'm just gonna been my struggle for a long time. (laughs) Because your wife's always right. What are you gonna do? You're stuck. What What do I say? How do I How do we object? Right. So we we go back and forth because I think I have a a stronger black resume than her because I did go to an (laughs) all-black university. I did belong to a black fraternity. Um, All my daughters are black. And so, uh, but her, you know, she didn't go to a black university. She did not join a sorority. So Mm -hmm. um, those are are things I hang on to. (laughs) That's another, there's another, yeah, that's another, uh, you're you're like a minority within a minority. Black Catholic conservative. Um, I want to yeah. get to all of that, but uh, I got a question from my my beloved associate producer chimes in, um, Chad Midell, and it's a question about uh, masonry I'd never heard before. Uh, is there a relationship between the Masons and the economic system of socialism? Oh, my. That's a great question. Because I, I think there is. I'm trying to succinctly how to, succinctly how to explain. I, I will say it like this. Um, relatives, I mean, socialism mm-hmm. and Freemasonry, the relationship they have together is um, relativism. Of course, there, there's three great events throughout history. There's, um, I guess, and there's many, but there, there's three that connect these things together to answer this question. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, 1517, um, the, the so-called start of the Protestant Reformulation. There's 1717. Um, the start of the Grand Lodge system of Freemasonry, which caused Freemasonry to spread like like wildfire, mm-hmm. and then there's there's um, 1917, the um, the start of the um, the Russian Revolution that that brought on communism, mm-hmm. and all all three of these events, 200 years apart, all are t- connected together by relativism. This this denial of of absolute truth, and of course um, Freemasonry. Um, um, is connected to socialism in that sense that fundamentally they believe that the highest good is not God. That for masonry, it's the universal religion, and for socialism, you know, it's the the cent- the, the government itself is the highest good. You know, yeah, yeah, the, to that. the 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 deification so, of the state, right? So mm-hmm. they they definitely have that. They definitely have that in common. That that subordinating. Um, God. So. Why have so many American presidents been Masons? Is it almost a uh, like a s- secret society agreement that if you're going to get to that level in American politics, someone takes you in, into an oak line room and they put a cigar in your mouth and they light it and they tell you what time it is and you got to be a Mason. Uh, have all American presidents been Masons, <clears throat> to your knowledge? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, not mm. even a, not even a small. I mean, a small percentage, but um, more so at the beginning of the founding of the country. Um, heavy Masonic influence. Just because Freemasonry is so popular at that at that time, mm-hmm. as, as I said, the Grand Lodge system starts in 1717. Um, this is the same time, you know, the the, the New World is starting to come online, yeah. and so, and it's very interesting that the Masonic influence in the United States 
is very significant. I think people, a lot of people really don't make the connection. The Constitution itself, you look at the American our Constitution as country, if you look at the, the very first amendment of um, freedom of religion, that mm-hmm. the government can exercise control or favor any religions. <clears throat> now look at the first const- first article in Anderson's Constitution, which governs Freemasonry. It's this same idea that um, that man that that religion um, or Freemasonry call it men's opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, that those things are subordinate to um, the greater good. And so there, there's this relationship between what Freemasons would call freedom from religion and what how people look at the First Amendment of the Constitution as this freedom from state-controlled religion. Right, um, right. The, the freedom from bill, an established so, yeah. religion. Established religion, yeah. yeah. So, it, it, I mean, there's so much Masonic influence just throughout the founding of this country. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, it's just ridiculous. I was in so. Washington in 1995, and I did notice a lot of this Masonic— like. The finesses on buildings, like the cornices, the way buildings are designed. Uh, the, what's the? Is it, it's like a protractor. What's the thing with the G? Um, oh, yeah, the square and compass. Yeah, yeah, the square and compass. There was sort of, kind of quasi creepy uh, Masonic architectural things there. Uh, how far did you yeah. get? Did you get to the like? Is there like an equivalent of Mormon magic underwear and hand signals and like oaths and stuff? How how far up the chain did you get? You know, I just found out about. Mormon underwear. Does the <laughs> couple guys I work with are, are Mormons, and um, and I didn't believe it. I said, "You have to show me, show me the underwear." <laughs> and so um, they showed me, and it was I, I just couldn't, I didn't know. Just careful. This was, is a family show, David. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were clean though. They were clean, but not um, and so in Freemasonry, there's traditionally most Grand Lodges recognize that there's what's called a Scottish Rite, yeah, and there's a York Rite. And the Scottish Rite consists of 33 degrees, and the New York Rite has various different houses on it, Nice Templar, Royal Select Master, uh, Royal Arts Mason. So I went up both sides. Oh. Um, didn't make it to the 33rd degree because I stopped being a Freemason when I was 32. Um, I was supposed to get coordinated um, to the 33rd when I became 33. That was a plan. But I never made it, but I was um, I made it to being the highest appointed Grand Lodge officer in the mm. Grand Lodge. Um, I was a, what's called a deputy Grand Master all over Western Ohio. I was the first predominantly black Mason, which is called Prince Hall Masons, to also have dual membership into a predominantly white Grand Lodge. So um, spoke throughout the world on the subject. So mm-hmm. for yeah, for ten years, Freemasonry was was my life. A fellow of the Phalax Society. So I was, a lot of a lot of um, it, it was my it was my life. I lived it. I breathed it. And but um, when I learned from EWTN, I was listening to EWTN when I was going through RSAA. Yeah. And I heard on there maybe maybe. I don't know if it's your show or not, but it's one of those evening shows that Freemasons can be Catholics. And I was like, what? And I started researching it, and sure enough, but for me, it was an easy choice. As much as I had loved Freemasonry. You said um, can't, right? I want to make sure, sorry, David, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. The Catholics can't be Freemasons, and vice versa. Cannot be Freemasons. Yeah, okay. So incompatible. Right. Incompatible. So as Irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. As an insider, maybe you can share with folks why that is, because it sounds arbitrary. Uh, people think, when they think uh, Masons, they think the Fez hats and cute mini bikes on in parades and Shriner hospitals. Yeah. What is the what's the occultic nature or the the Gnostic <clears throat> undermining of the claims of the Catholic Church? Like, why is it a deal breaker? Why are they incompatible? 
Yeah, what 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 Pope Clement the Twelfth saw in seventeen thirty eight, what he saw, he he said there was really four reasons that Freemasons, I mean Catholics, cannot be Freemasons. Uh, one, Freemasonry has their own law, their own moral law. He says they practice indifferentism. Um, yeah. And number number two, he said that um, they meet in in secret, so we don't know what's going on there. And um, so I lost the four reasons, but distinctly, fundamentally, the first two were really based upon indifferentism. That Freemasonry has their own law, um, um, in that they they posit to offer an alternative path to salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For Freemason, like I said, for Freemasonry, Freemasons will use those tools that you saw the compass and a square and these things like that, like that an operative Mason would use to build a building. But Freemasonry has a philosophy that they look at those same working tools. And they say that, well, um, uh, operative mason would use that, that tool to do this with a building, like a hammer. They would use it to hammer a nail. Yeah. As a Freemason, I take that same hammer and I break off, maybe I'm a nail. I need to be driven or whatever. So they, they take these same things and apply them philosophically. I got you. And by doing so, they offer as plegianism, as indifferentism, as self-determinationism. is basically saying that I can make myself better. I can I can work my own issues out. I don't need grace. I don't need Christ. I don't need God. I don't need his church. I don't need the sacraments. I just need these working tools to get me to a place that's beyond. And yeah. and that's that's the prime issue. And that's what Pope Clement the twelfth saw in seventeen thirty eight and why he issued the, the first ban. Sounds like Tony Robbins with a fancy uh skirt dress <laughs> this idea of you know uh the power of positive thinking napoleon hill think and grow rich it may be even there's there's shades of this in uh yeah i'm thinking think think and grow rich almost a new agey belief that your thoughts yeah. can somehow come back to you you know the law of attraction all that kind of yeah, gobbledygook yeah, yeah yeah i never thought how yeah that's all that's rooted in the same type of idea mm-hmm. isn't it yeah is there some yeah. connection last question about, about uh, masonry uh is there a connection with the construction of the temple and the Masonic Lodge? Because there's some <clears throat> claims to, to have some kind of affiliation with the Old Testament. I want to say the uh, the Temple yeah. of Solomon. Am I off base there? Am I misremembering? Yeah, I mean, every, every <clears throat> I, I guess every secret society and fraternity, even the fraternity I was in in college, have their legends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the legend of Freemasonry, what the, the, what the ritual system is built upon is this idea that when we read it, when we read in the Bible that King Solomon's temple was actually completed, <laughs> um, the free, the Masonic idea was that no, the temple was not completed. Um, that there there are three guys. There's King Solomon. There's Hiram, King of Tyre, who is in the Bible also, and there's a third guy who's not in the Bible. His name is Hiram Abiff. And these three men have what was the um, together they could come together and pronounce the secret name of God because each of them had uh, had a syllable, and they come together. Um, and they could pronounce the secret name of God. Mm-hmm. Well, there are there are th- there are three fellows. Um, they, they would call them the three Jews, is what they they would call them, Jubilad, Jubilo, and Jubilum. Um, these three guys they they decided that they wanted to know the secret name of God, and so they chased this Hiram Abiff down and tried to take the word from him. And but Hiram Abiff would not relent, and so the last the last Jew killed him, and. King Solomon comes by and tries to raise Hiram Abiff from the dead, but he cannot. So the secret name of God was forever lost. And so the Freemason is the person who now is traveling 
in trying to rediscover the, the what was lost, the mm. hidden name of God. So the Freemason is always traveling to the east to find this gotcha, secret find name. The secret name, right? With the with the your camcorder waiting to hear it. Yeah, that sounds very um, well. It's indifferentist, but it's also Gnostic, right? You're waiting for that secret knowledge that you can actually hear. When all you need to do is read uh, the first. I don't know. Well, the first start the list with uh, Exodus three. We know God's name. I am who am. Yeah, full stop. Then we got Jesus Christ, the God Man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you don't have to listen to right, this magical right. sound. Um, but, but you know, Joseph Smith was a mm-hmm. Freemason, and, and um, you know, he incorporated a lot of Freemasonry and ritual into Mormonism. That's and a good so point. you see, so yeah, you see the same same idea with them because they don't even want you to see their their temple um, ceremonies. So it's yep, the same true. idea of yeah. Gnosticism. So, now Mormons. Yeah. Um, excluded blacks from the priesthood until by by as if by random magic coincidence US civil rights legislation arrived in the, in the mid 60s and then the prophet president had a kind of a, a a bit of a revelation and then kaboom blacks can enter was there any strictures against blacks um in your experience or historically in the masonic lodge oh yeah definitely um like I said, like I said, Prince Hall Freemasonry, which is the predominantly black set of Freemasonry, um, started in the 1700s. Um, but until it wasn't until the 90s, when the 1990s, um, 1990s, when predominantly white Masons and these predominantly black Masons decided to, um, when what is in Freemasonry called recognize each other, and by recognizing that each one is legitimate, um, they can now visit each other's lodges and exchange things. Um, Mm-hmm. As, as the operative mason, you know, he would travel from lodge to lodge back in the day and find sure. work. Yeah. And so the Masonic idea is that if you, the mason is supposed to be able to travel to different lodges and find work. But black yeah. masons and white masons in the United States, and still to this day, even though pretty much all your grand lodges in the north recognize one another, still in places like Alabama and Mississippi, um, black masons and white masons, so to speak, do not recognize one another. So there's still just underlining um, racism that's the, that you still see. Did I hear you say you're, is there a Baptist part of your story? Were you a Baptist? No, I was never, I mean, no. my, 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 there were Baptists in my family. Okay, because um, I was going to tell a Baptist never, joke. I would never call myself a Baptist, yeah. Okay, I heard this Baptist joke from a Baptist, so I was wondering <clears throat> okay. how many people I can offend all at the same time here, because it goes to what you said about <laughs> recognition. Um, atheists do not recognize the existence of God. Right. Jews and Muslims, and, uh, Jews and Muslims don't recognize the divinity of Christ. Protestants don't recognize the primacy of Peter. And Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. So, so hey, I'm here all day. Try the veal. <laughs> I expect some LOLs, people, even if you're not LOLing. Have you noticed that? No one in the history of the world has ever been <laughs> laughing out loud when they write LOL. It's never happened. Hmm. All right, so you're... You're a minority in, in several several overlapping senses, and one of them is you're. I, I love you, you've you've got serious trolling skills. You know where the where the button exists. I noticed some of your witty comments on uh, on Facebook and elsewhere because uh, people uh-huh. are not expecting uh, a black man to be a Trump supporter any more than they are expecting a Canadian to be <laughs> to be one. How how? <laughs> so what? I just got someone tweeted at me the other day that I I support uh, white supremacists somehow, and I said, oh. um, please show me a guest or or a topic. I 
because my 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 Hispanic wife and my mixed race kids they deserve to know how I <laughs> they I miss do. I miss this. Um, they do. Were you, did you come from a politically conservative family? Have you always kind of skewed uh, Republican or pro life, pro family, uh, anti nanny state when you were growing up? Absolutely not. Um, mm-hmm. I was. Um, I mean, like a lot of Black Americans, it was just. It's just a matter of fact that you belong to the Democratic Party because they're they're for black people. Right. And Catholics, too. Uh, yeah. The story goes. So, no, I, re- I remember um, I did vote for Clinton. Um, I don't think I voted for him the second time. But um, but by the time Obama came around, I think I was Catholic. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Um, so yeah, I think that that was I, you know I didn't really become you know I didn't become conservative because I became Catholic. Um, I, don't, I don't think it happened like that. I think I, I started adopting conservative ideas and giving it a, a fresh look mm-hmm. when I became pro-life. Oh, I see. And I, and I said, well, if the Democrats are wrong about this, what else are they wrong about? And just I, I just started looking at you know what their ideas are, what their platforms are. And I said, no, they aren't for black people. They they aren't for I don't think humanity humanity altogether. A lot, a lot, a lot of their ideas and, and, and principles and things they stand for. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that was really what, what what led me down that path, just becoming pro life and just reexamining this this idea. Yeah. So you you tracked how this logic and not being able to see that abortion kills an un, you know is the unjust killing of an innocent person. Right. And, and if you're wrong on that. That that illogic's going to track everywhere else, because you've posted you've posted things about the history of slavery, and which political party was for it and which were <laughs> against it, who fought the legislation uh, in the fifties and in sixties. Right. It's it's a it's a rogues gallery of Democrats. Yeah, it's yeah. the Republican they, they, Party. They, they, they haven't they haven't changed. I mean, at all for the past what we're talking about 200, 300 years. It, it's been the same party. They just change their tactics throughout it's, it's it's imperialism it's it's elitism it's it's always thinking that you know what's better for other people than they know for themselves mm-hmm. and that that's that's in in all these things that they believe in whether it's eugenics whether it's, it's population control um whether it's um um uh, same-sex marriage whether it's abortion Mm-hmm. All these things are linked together because they 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 all have one thing in common. They're, it's all eugenics. It, it's all it's all they keep pushing this idea that people don't have value that we can just dispose of people um, for for the benefit of the elites. So and they, it's just people it's a are, sick mentality. People are means. They're disposable instruments. They are. Which they are. is we don't pretty, we don't want we don't yeah. tr- we don't tr- we don't want children being born. Every everything that they push today is is all about eliminating um, the, the 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 birth of, of new people. It is. Isn't that it is. the, it's really that's demonic. a pretty good definition of slavery? The person as tool. Yeah, and, and slavery and, and abortion. I mean, they did the same. This is the same arguments, Patrick. You ever hear them? I mean, with, with my body, my choice. My slave, my choice. Right. Um, though the government can't tell me what to do with my body. The government can't tell me to do with my slave. Um, yeah. I can do with my slave what I want to. I can do with my body what I want to. It's it's the same language, and people don't even see it. it upsets me. You notice the the massive contradiction between this get the government out rhetoric. Because when it comes to the nanny state and wanting everybody on on welfare, it's get the government in, way in. 
It's like, guys, you have to pick one. <laughs> pick one. Yeah, they're very consistent. They are. Uh, they are. My last week, my first uh, inaugural live stream hangout, which I've nicknamed What Just Happened with uh, with John Henry Weston, just said a conversation with John Hen- Henry Weston. It took our superiors yeah. at YouTube about 12 hours to strip all the ads out. And the, the language they use is not suitable for all advertisers, which is code for our community does not like your thoughts. And I, I don't know how long, I hope this current <laughs> conversation will not get demonetized or, or shadow banned. Oh, yeah, because I'm sorry. I did use some trigger words. I'm going to I'm gonna harm your ad revenue. I apologize about no, that. No, we, we, have, we have trigger um, uh, algorithm software that kind of ble- deletes it out. Yeah, okay. and it, instead of that, it just says hope and change. Hope and change. Any any trigger word is covered over with, with hope yeah, and change. Yeah, I recently put a video on Facebook. I put, put a video on YouTube a couple, um, maybe a couple, maybe a couple of days ago. It mm-hmm. was, it was, it was. I thought it was very helpful. It was how, how, and why to stop um, your masturbation addiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was just a very helpful video. I, I you know, what right. could be wrong with that? And so, yeah, same same thing. Not suitable for all advertisers, um, that, such uh, as Trojan. Was that on <laughs> such as Trojan? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I I did one. Uh, I did one similar. I said for those. Funny you bring this up. I, I don't. I don't know if it gets shadow banned because I only find out if something I tweet say gets shadow banned because someone said, "Hey, I tried to re- I tried to retweet and it wouldn't let me." Um, wait, for those where are you, you Wait, wait, wait. Let me yeah. pause you. Was yeah. it was it your tweets where you said? Because <laughs> I think I retweeted it. Was it your tweet where you said? Um, masturb- <laughs> masturbation is gay or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking one? for like additional reasons to stop, <laughs> masturbation is gay. Think about it. You're welcome. And people, <laughs> they, they either lots and lots of LOLs or they totally ignored me. But if you do ponder it, it's it's a hundred percent true. But <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I've been thinking about it ever since I heard it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also welcome too, sir. <laughs> Yeah, but I, yeah, I'm, so I'm bringing up the was, shadow banning for a reason. I'm bringing up the shadow banning for a reason. Um, Milo Yiannopoulos, whom I've interviewed, uh, David Horowitz, who I've interviewed, same with um, uh, Gavin McInnes. These have all been banned, and of course they have to throw in Louis Farrakhan, the famous conservative, just right, just for the sake of of balance or the right. appearance thereof. And I wanted to ask you if you think this is big tech's move to clear the decks for the 2020 election. Yeah, I've, I've heard that argument. Um, it's hard to say that it's not somehow tied together, that it's not in, in that in that box of tricks they're going to pull out. Um, I think it, it's, it's, it's pro- perhaps this, but it's also going to be a lot of other things um, that's, that's um Mm-hmm. That's coming down the line. So yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if it's in a in a family of activities that they're going to be participating in to minimize um, any conservative influence whatsoever mm-hmm. over people who may even slightly be interested in, in voting for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't. I I don't believe that they all meet in the um, the conspiratorial Oakline meeting room. But they're all they're fellow travelers. I mean, the the, um, the people who run big tech and in, in upper south. Northern California, they're all the same leftist echo chamber, and they don't they they don't want what they say they want. They don't want a marketplace of ideas where you can have a rational conversation. You can agree to disagree and come to what's the first principles here? Where what's the dividing line of what, what our worldviews are? Where they clash right. and where right. they coalesce? That's what the conversation they don't want, and that creates 
more animosity. If you can't criticize certain people, those people are, they're not going to, banning people makes them double and triple down. It doesn't make them go, oh, thank you for this time out. I've learned a lot and I've repented. Forget it. Given human nature. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, but that's, I mean, <clears throat> if they can't silence you, they'll just kill you. I mean, that, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just, that's just their tactics. But they, they definitely, I mean, I think there was a time, um, even, even we, we see it during, um, you know, in, in France during, during its worst times, I, I, mm-hmm. I, even in this country during some of our worst times, there, there was some people who were just always interested in trying to discover the common good and try right. to open up conversations. And sometimes those conversations during the abolition movement, during slavery, sometimes those conversations um, were tough and sometimes they they led to a lot of angry conversations, but people were willing to engage in these conversations. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, definitely there was a point in time where that conversation ceased and we, you know, we fight wars to, to figure out, um, you know, who's going to, who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. But we're not even, we're not even getting to that, that point now. We're, we're just trying, we're just skipping over trying to discover what is the common good, what's good for all people. And we're just going to the, these, um, these war tactics and that's all they are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I love how the left, and I'm I'm distinguishing the left from classic liberals from from the days of yore who believed in liberality and open-minded uh, right. discourse. They they seem to think that you can just eliminate war, just just wish it away. Same with the poor, right? Didn't someone from Nazareth famously say famously say the poor will always be with you? So why why are you <laughs> waging war on it? Like this the 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 war on poverty language from the LBJ administration is it's mm-hmm. it's. Um, it never says die. It's just part of the warp and woof of leftist American politics. The it's very messianic, uh, utopian. We yeah. can have heaven on earth if we just keep yeah. on working. Yeah, and I, I mean, does 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 Father James Martin does he use that line? The poor always be with you. I think he uses that line sometimes in his tweets when it comes to immigration, right? Uh, so. yeah. Well, he's yeah, yeah. There's never a scripture verse he's not willing to misuse for an agenda. Yeah. <clears throat> So um, I mean, there's I mean, we keep wanting to weaponize. We weaponize scripture, right? We weaponize that. We weaponize the internet now. Um, every, everything has to be weaponized to pit one group against the other, and that's and that's what they call winning. Yeah, they, there's definitely, and you can see this. Uh, Mark Casando's asking about worried. Are you worried about history being rewritten in the current generation and beyond? Maybe we can have a specific example of history being rewritten but the news if you open up any i won't even i'm not going to throw traffic at any of them but any of the dot-com news agencies or any of the alphabet soup cable networks all of the news the way it's presented the images chosen and edited are designed to maximally make you afraid whether it's mm-hmm. global warming you notice global warming has now been rebranded climate yep. change that didn't take in that didn't get any traction at all this global warming stuff yeah. so they have yeah. to uh they have to change it up <clears throat> then it's i got a double double thing here Sorry here, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or it's Ebola, or it's uh, Three Mile Island, or it's the, th- it's the nuclear scourge. It's just wall-to-wall panic to keep us on edge and stressed. I know I have to be very careful, especially in the morning. I've done a video on my morning routine, and I have to start, I have to start it, coffee, uh, take my dog out, and then it's uh, ibrevery. I have to start with some kind of communion with God. If not... An hour will go by. Uh, how do I get my hour back? Yeah, yeah. It, there's yeah, an addictive yeah, quality to that. It's it's a it's a it's a deliberately induced stress, 
which I think makes the populace a lot more malleable, a lot more soft in the brain. But what do you think, though? Do you think, I mean, I I, I look at, you know, your major outlets. I mean, even even where it's Fox News or it could be MSNBC, Mm -hmm. CNN, ABC, this whole group. Um, I think maybe perhaps there may be some or all of the newscasters there or, or people there who actually do believe what they say. But don't. But what do you think about the fact that they profit billions of dollars mm-hmm. by making people angry? I mean, it's a great business plan. Um, they keep throwing meat at people, yeah. and people take it. And like you said, most people don't start their morning like that. People start their morning um, on Drudge Report, even or on CNN, and mm-hmm. they get this meat, and it makes them angry, and they go back and get more, want more, mm-hmm. and it's, it's just this, this cycle. And these. These smart business people, they understand this. They sell a lot of ad dollars um, with this idea of making people angry. And so yeah. I think there's some, I mean, I'm sure there's some munitions there um, of, you know, the, the liberal idea of imperialism and elitism. I, I know that's there. But also there's the business plan. This yeah. makes a lot of people a lot of money. Could you say that this is an overlap of, between big business and government interests? Because if you if you make people angry, then you are inducing them, or you're you're challenging them to vote the problem away. So support my political party because I'm going to stop making you angry. I'll put a stop to all this stuff that we're we're feeding you. So if you just vote for us, look look at the sh- and I have to say the word shameful, and I I wish I didn't have to, but as a group, the USCCB, um, don't think about what it means to treat illegal uh, aliens from, from wherever, north, south, east, or west, as future Democrat Party voters, which is exactly what they become. No one right. goes from El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, or anywhere south of that to become uh, a blue suit-wearing Trump voter. Never. And so the more voters you have for the Democratic Party, the more people you have supporting the party of abortion and the redefinition of marriage right. and doctor-assisted right. suicide. And the whole trans right. movement is completely run by the Democratic side. So why why are our leaders in the church muscularizing the cult, the party of death? I mean, that's I, I mean, from 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 the perspective of our, our our leadership, some of our leadership, a lot of our leadership in the Catholic Church. I mean, that's the area that just just troubles me greatly. On one say, on one hand, I, I look at it and I was like, well, that's just that's just demonic. Another side, I recognize the business side of it that mm-hmm. they do profit off of grants and, and things like that as well from this. Yeah, and, and so I mean, you you do have that you do have that there that they're 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 so silent they're they're quiet on this agenda. Um, Trump is definitely has to be the most pro life president we ever had, but you hardly ever hear anything from them. You know that that's champion that even says you know thanks you know that's a good idea we appreciate that. Yeah. You hardly hear anything. Is but then on the, then on the flip side, right? When I mean, we talk about there's profit in making people angry, there's profit in division, and there's and it goes along with that. But then we also have people in our in our church who um, I call the theology of uh, meh. You know, the, you ask them a hard question. You know, are, is anybody going to go to hell? Well, let me nuance that for a second. You know, it's the theology yeah. of meh, and so yeah. it's just this this whole potpourri of just nonsense. It's, mm-hmm. Popery, I see what you did there. Popery. 
<laughs> yeah, and not to pick on uh, on leftists because it's in the far right too. Extreme, extremely uh, libertarian re- Republican types they love illegal immigration because it's cheap labor. They can bash the wages right. down as, as close to zero as possible. Okay, so Mark has uh, uh, an example in regard to this is uh, Mark, my uh, my friend from uh, Mark. Are you still in Ottawa? Former uh, companion of the cross. Applicant. In regard to the men and women whom we revere and look up to for the courage to speak our truth or fight for truth, um, I see it happening now in people taking our history in today's context and not the culture of the time. For example, here in Canada, removing statues of not politically correct figures of the past. That is also happening in the U.S. I've talked about the situation at Notre Dame. Thanks, thanks for that, Mark. I'll, I'll throw to you in a sec, uh, David. But uh, President uh, John Jenkins of Notre Dame has refused the student's request to block porn into the dorms at right. Notre Dame. Notre Dame University. Right. So Notre Dame University at this point, we have to say, is a state school with a pretty chapel. <laughs> so, but, and yet, and a great name. He, yeah, won't co- he won't cover up the porn by blocking it, but he will cover up paintings Columbus. of Christopher Columbus. Yeah. This yeah. is like a loss of contact with reality. Yeah, it's like a twilight zone. I mean, like you, it's just hard to believe when you hear so many things like that. Really, that that just happened. Mm-hmm. And and I've in Mark is in in you know one of my favorite cities in North America is, is Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. When, the when, church. When I mean, we go? The, the, yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, the, the churches. Um, um, the Notre Dame um, Cathedral there. I mean, all all the street signs named after saints. I mean, it, just on the surface, it's just the most Catholic city there is, right? Um, yeah. But it's nothing there beyond beyond that. It's it's There's the Ireland of that. North America. It's a shell. I mean, uh, Ireland and Quebec used to have among the highest birth rates in the world. And then around, uh, it, most Canadian historians say it's about 1960. It was called the Quiet Revolution, where, and this is even before the Second Vatican Council happened, the Quebec Society just jettisoned the church threw the church out into the St. Lawrence River and so Quebec politics were really born in earnest and every other just a quick for my Canadian viewers every other province in Canada has a provincial legislature except Quebec Quebec's provincial legislature is called the National Assembly so this idea of nationalism a separate from mm-hmm. Canada kind of a you know like a separate um, institution within the country uh, that's part of the reason why Oil and water. Quebecers and and Anglo's in Canada are are, are oil and water, kind of like the the black and white Masons, right? <laughs> On paper, there's unity, <laughs> but they don't recognize each other. <laughs> right, right, On right, right. Um. So uh, let me um. Let me go to Chad here again. Chad says, uh, according to some polls, Trump has gained more approval from the African American community. And jobs are an all-time high among American blacks. Will this turn into a consistent trend, or do you think it's just an outlier? The African-American community seems to have some religious conservative values that clash with the leftist agenda. Right. It's, um, yeah, as, as black Americans, we traditionally just have not voted a- according to the things that we we hold to be true. Because um, religious, as far as being Christians, uh, black, I think black black Americans are by far conservative when it comes to their outlook and what they, they take from um, Christianity as far mm-hmm. as family values. Um, that just, just hasn't translated into the ballot booth in about 80 years. But mm-hmm. 
Just, I'm very interested to see how this turns out. I mean, definitely, uh, if it wasn't Hillary, um, who really just took the black vote for granted and, and basically tried to get blacks to vote for her by throwing Jay-Z and Beyonce concerts and throwing um, LeBron James out there, that was her strategy. If it wasn't for that, um, if there was a, another candidate, I, I mean, I, I wonder, because what blacks didn't do in 2016 was vote for Trump. What, it, what it happened was they just didn't vote for Hillary, and that helped. Mm-hmm, um, right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in, in, to see um, what happens in, in 2020. You have you have movements that I really don't get behind. You have Blackshit with Candace Owens, which I, I really don't you know care a whole lot for because I just don't know where she's at. You know, she's you know she's pro LGBT, whatever that is. So I'm not I'm not happy with her. Um, <clears throat> but, she's def- I was going to ask you about Candace Owens because she represents yeah. uh, the the two sets of rules with the way the lamestream media are supposed to treat a black woman. On the one hand, they're they're supposed to be on a pedestal because they're a woman, um, they're fighting the power. A black woman, she's got additional layers of of obstacles to overcome. But she is, like, shamed, shunted, shellacked. Um, It's astounding how poorly she is, uh, she's treated at at events. And I, I know a lot of, there's a certain kind of conservative that it's more, it's colorblind in the sense that it's all about the green. They don't have a moral foundation. So you have libertarians right. who couldn't care less about the gay marriage and homosexuality. It's not just not right. Um, it's not on their right. plate at all. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. And then there's people right. like Larry. Larry Elder, I think, is someone who has more of a structure from which he draws from. I don't agree with everything. I'm probably 70, 80 percent with with Larry. I think I mean, he's I think he's kooky on on the gay thing and on abortion. But he yeah. thinks it through. He he draws from a set of principles that you can see yeah. over time, you know, uh, right, Walter right. Williams and, and the same thing, same there. Right, 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 right. I think there's definitely, I think there's black conservatives and I think there's black Trumplicans. Um, uh, um, so, so you have Trumplicans. Totally yeah, jealous. Talking, I wish I'd coined that. Tell, tell what, what's a, <laughs> I can probably figure I mean, it I think, out. I think, I think a Candace Owens would fit into that category. A mm. diamond and silk would fit into that category. Um, so they're definitely behind Trump. Um, but traditionally they wouldn't, they're not people you would say are the whole traditional conservative values, but right. they're a hundred percent behind Donald Trump's um, mm-hmm. presidency. Mm-hmm. Why? So. Why is that? Because Trump gets, gets pounded day and night, every day, all the time as being a racist. It's the go-to word for Trump. So why would, why would, why would Trump, black Trumplicans go for, um, Hitler's cousin? I- <laughs> I mean, because because Trump called it called all black Ameri- all black Americans out. I mean, when he was running um, for the nomination, even yeah. um, <clears throat> he he had told us he said for eighty years you've been doing the same thing. How's that worked out? Um, yeah, and challenged us to <clears throat> to try something different, uh, which yeah. was him. And even though a lot of black Americans decided just to stay home and not vote for Hillary, um, I think a lot of black Americans have been looking and seeing. That Donald Trump was right. That he's, he asked, "What do, what do you have to lose?" Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it looks like we had a lot to gain with, with Donald Trump's presidency, at least economically. And he's doing a lot with the historically black universities, one of which I went to. Um, he's everything he said he was going to do. Um, well, I wouldn't say everything, but a lot of great deal more than what any other president has come along and, and, and proposed. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump has actually done. Yeah. And he's I think definitely- he makes a, a strong case. Definitely guilty of that. Yeah. Um, do you get called uh, Uncle Tom, Oreo cookie, 
do you get pushback from other blacks on social media or in your in your own sphere? Yeah, I think I think the whole Uncle Tom thing is dying off. But when I first started talking about this issue back, you know, in early early 2010, 12, mm-hmm. 15, especially as a black person who did not vote for Barack Obama, um, I got called every name in the book. A lot of Uncle Toms, a lot of coons, a lot of sellouts. Coons, I haven't heard and, that um, in years. Yeah, Sorry for laughing. Uh, like, boy, that's that's a blast from the past. Right. Yeah. And it's um. And it's, and it's really just weak. It's, it's name-calling. You know, it's people who can't articulate their argument why they're against you. You know, they were just thought a name. And it's so and it's yeah. so weird because Uncle Tom, if you read the book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Uncle Tom was a conservative Christian. And, um, he, <laughs> I mean, he was, a, he was a good mm-hmm. guy. I mean, call me Uncle Tom. And I always say, oh, Uncle Tom, thank you. That's, that's, that's yeah. a compliment. It, well, it really is. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, they're just stupid. They're just stupid. I wish you'd get off the fence in your nomenclature there. What do you really think? Uh, Jordan Peterson would love David. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. And happy birthday, Mark, by the way. You do not look 68, my friend. You're remarkably well-preserved. I'm just kidding. Um, what do you think? Uh, uh, let me throw this out you. at you. You may have heard me say this before. Um, Pope Francis is the Trump of the left. Ah. Uh. No, no, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. It, it, it would imply that that Pope Francis is an alpha male, when he's clearly a beta male. Um, so he's, he's much closer to Barack oh. Obama than he is to Donald Trump. No, I haven't, I hadn't thought of that angle. That's that's definitely the disanalogy because he is the Obama too. But but that then the then the parallelism doesn't work because a Trump of the left works, Obama of the left doesn't work. So world <laughs> worldview right. Uh, worldview, I think there's this definitely more similarity there. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. wasn't going for for alpha, uh, beta. I was going more for, look how they're almost inverse opposites of each other. They've both leveraged social media to an unprecedented, surprising degree. They've both subverted the expectations of their followers. They both made uh, extremely unorthodox decisions. Um, they they. They have influence beyond political influence beyond their office. I mean, Pope Francis. This is the point of Henry Sear in his book, The Dictator Pope. He's a very political animal. He's very much formed by the the policy or the the mo of Peronism. Juan Peron, the post World War II dictator in in Argentina, and it's not about liberal conservative really. It's about it's more Machiavellian. Keep your underlings afraid of you so that you can manage them, and you can push your things. You can push your things through. Um, he's also, let me see, trying to think of another, another example, has, uh, gone through a lot of, uh, turnover, staff turnover. Mm. That's one mm-hmm. thing I'm not really crazy about the Trump White House. I wish there was more stability of, of upper level staff. I think that's a, a sign of health really, even in, in, in a company as well. There's been a lot of turnover with the, the Vatican press office. Um, a lot yeah. of people have been quickly hired and fired with no, you know, no, no explanation. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Certainly not because you say that on Twitter and they go, are you saying that Trump is like a Catholic believes in the Eucharist? No, that's an, <laughs> don't be what uh, TNT call an LB, a literalist bastard. Don't, don't be an LB. It's just a metaphor. Yeah. I think I do. I mean, I like that you, you brought out that. And I, I don't think I ever thought of the, the Trump of the, um, of the left or the, the Trump. What did you call it? The Trump of the left? Trump, Trump, Trump of the left. Of the, Trump of the left, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely always saw these two figures as people who are trying to en- enact a reform. And, I, I, and I've said this. Oh, that's Pope another. That's, another that's a good point. That I mean, there's clearly the reform of Francis of Pope Francis trying to remake the church in his image. And I, I would say the same thing about Donald Trump. That he, I mean, it's clearly a reform. He he called it himself that a, a cleaning out the swamp. Mm-hmm. Pope Francis would call it making a mess. Okay, um, and and so there's this idea that I think they, these both men share that they want to reshape things in in their image mm-hmm. of what they think is is the is the is the the common good. Yeah, they they devise. So yeah, that's I like that. Did you uh, the the t- I like the mixed metaphor too. You got make a mess drain drain the swamp. What what if what if we could like drain the messy swamp? Maybe <laughs> mix them. The Catholic both hand. David, did you? Yeah. Did you? Um, by the way, I'm joined with David L. Uh, David L. Gray. I want to throw some traffic at your publishing company, St. Dominic's Media. What's the website? Yeah. Oh uh, yes, yeah, stdominicsmedia.com. All right. That's a weird title for your website. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine that. Media.com. And so folks can connect with you and you speak. You will. You'll. Oh, by the way, is it .com or .org? I'm just typing it in. That's as for St. Dominic's Media? Yep. Yeah, .com. .com. Yeah, .com. Very, good. Media.com. Very good. I wanted to ask you if you had uh, read the letter from the 19 scholars accusing Pope Francis of the delict of heresy. I did. I did. I did. Um, mm-hmm. I think I just told a lie because I read a summary of it, and I read a lot of, um, and I read the in, the, in the letter themselves, they highlight their points. Yeah. I didn't read a whole 19 pages or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. I read their summary, and I read other summaries. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a student of what heresy is, and I've read a lot of the back and forth and the, the some ad hominem, sort of a untoward display of acrimony uh, on either side, pro or con. But my takeaway was twofold. Number one, the the very, I'm going to talk about this in my coffin report uh, for my members. The language the church uses to describe heresy, it's a pretty high bar. You ha- It has to be pertinacious, yeah. you know, uh, rejection of obstinate. what God, po- yeah. obstinate, post-baptismal rejection of what God has revealed, that has to... It has to be believed with divine and Catholic faith. Well, mm. wow. What, is this why people like Andrew Cuomo will not be excommunicated? Because he's, it doesn't, it's not that high. But, you know, he's, what if he were for unlimited abortion license and even infanticide, but he believed that Mary was not immaculately conceived? Whoa, you need to be excommunicated. <laughs> so I think that the church's own definition is very, very high. So uh, given that, Okay, so Pope Francis is not a, is not a formal heretic, but, but the other takeaway is that the the last I would say twenty percent of that letter when this I recommend mm-hmm. people watch it, it puts the whole problem in one spot. He he hired so and so, he fired so and so. This is the summary yeah. of the document that he wrote, and these are all the homosexualists that he surrounds yeah. himself with. These are the scandals yeah. that go unaddressed. So that's yeah. to me that's yeah. the yeah. the benefit. And I, I thought it was an interesting angle of the, of the letter because they wanted to address um, what they couldn't prove was what you said. They couldn't necessarily prove heresy. We, we can't definitively prove that, but there's a lot here if we look at his actions. There, there's right. a lot here to look at. And it's true. There's a lot there to look at. Um, <laughs> a lot. Like, was there... 
What, let me ask you something that uh, that Taylor Marshall and Tim Gordon asked me about being red pilled. Were you excited when you heard it was a South American Jesuit and he was going to kind of think outside the box and bring the gospel to the peripheries? I was. I was waiting for a breath of fresh air. Although I did not like the abdication of Pope Benedict, I still don't really like it. I don't think Pope should resign, especially not that Pope. But he did, and here we are. Um, what was your first, uh, uh-oh, was there an eyebrow-raising thing that got worse and worse? Do you remember going back over the last six years, realizing you're not really in, in, in Kansas anymore, Toto? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, <laughs> you know, you ask some people. I think I had this conversation with Steve Skojek over at 1 Peter 5 one time. And um, there there were some Catholics like that in, in that group that say when Pope Francis, when he emerged— from the um, um with the portico is that what it yeah, that the, was the loggia I think they call it yeah um yeah. that hair raised on their backs right that they got a you know they thought that they're a spider man they got a tingling you know spidey sense that something doesn't miss here um and so I, I can't say that I, I belong to that group but I was definitely I do remember being a little bit uncomfortable because um. I don't know. I just got a sense of discomfort. And it wasn't because I heard he's a Jesuit. I think when I heard he's a Jesuit, South American Jesuit, I got a little more uncomfortable because I didn't. I, I, the more I learned about him very early on, the, the more I, I got a, a sense of I don't know <clears throat> what direction this is going to go. It's either going to be awesome. Right. He, he mm. is. He is going to be Francis or, you know, this is going to get bad pretty fast. Yep. And it got bad pretty fast. Maybe that's the similarity with Barack Obama. A total cipher with no footprint. Almost like Melchizedek, but in reverse. Bunk. He's here. We don't know where he's from. He has no foot. I mean, when I say no footprint, there, he, he's written no books. There was nothing. He had no right. no paper trail to kind of dig into his worldview, as we had with John Paul II, as we had with Paul right. VI, and, of course, Pope right. Benedict. Um, yeah. But this was a, a kind of a tabula rasa. Um, right. and, and then I, I remember my, my first little maybe micro red pill was that he took his name from a man who didn't even take priesthood, Francis of Assisi. Uh, hmm. That was, a, I don't know, it's just, uh, okay, move on, it's not that big a deal. So there was a, yeah. a small collection that became foothills of not a big deal, and then all of a sudden I'm looking at Mount Everest of not a big deal, and that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, it's I, you know, early on during his um, during his during his papacy, um, I remember taking a lot of a lot of flack from um, because this is back in I think 2013. You know, mm-hmm. I started when I had my old blog back then. David O. It was a blog more so yeah. just an essays that I have now on my website. But I started talking about you know these things that I was very uncomfortable about. And this was back when, you know, it wasn't cool to talk bad about Pope Francis. It wasn't cool yeah. to criticize him. And now, you know, now it's cool. Now everyone can do it. You know, it's, it's popular. But I, I remember interviewing for a couple of jobs, um, being a religious director of education yep. at a couple of parishes. And, you know, they'd go to my blog and, um, you know, they would bluntly ask me about, well, oh, why did you write that article? How do you feel about Pope Francis? And one priest, you know, again, I didn't get any of those jobs, but one priest um, 
did tell me, say, yeah, we think we can hire you because you, you know, things right about Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a couple other things that, that happened, you know, in, in the Catholic community that, um, you know, I, I, and I was one of those people who, like I said, my name was out there, you know, it was David O'Grady, that's my website, right? Yeah. And um, I wasn't hiding behind a mask. You know, if you go to, if you go to Canon 122 or Pew Sitter back in the day, you know, a lot of, a lot of articles that were linked were anonymous people eponymous flower and you I know, know. I mean, all these people we exactly. don't know who they are they can be processed we don't know yeah i call them but F- you know my name yeah. is out there and sure. i paid the price and um but mm. you know i stand by I, I i wrote a whole series talking about um the reform of francis it was a five-part series and i said exactly what's going to happen and everything i said was going to happen happened um mm. but i started writing about francis stopped talking about him back i think 2016 i just stopped um um but um, I stand by everything I said. That I, I think yeah. he's Pope, Pope Frank. He's Pope. He's legitimately like the Pope, but he's he's been proven to be one of the worst popes um, in in praxis, in practice of the faith, in, yeah. um, in, in, in explaining the faith. There is a so. terrible taboo against Catholics saying that about a living Pope. But I I did notice that apologists and Catholics who are robustly Catholic take an almost delight in complaining about bad popes of the past, the Borgia popes, the Alexanders here and there, the Medici popes, the ones who had murders, you know, they, they had hits taken out, they had mistresses. Oh, they were, they yeah. were mighty scoundrels. But the yeah. Holy Spirit protected the church somehow through the gift of infallibility. But when it comes to a, a problem hiding in plain sight in the real world, in real time, there's silence. So you have mm-hmm. no response. Among laity, you do like you and I are speaking mm. up, but right. did you notice the reaction to the... Forget the merits or demerits of the letter from the 19 scholars. Mm-hmm. All of the bandwidth, all of the armaments went against them when that was released. Oh, these guys, come on. And they they were, they were got mes- messenger shot at. A lot of messenger target shooting. Yeah. Uh, instead of, yeah. well, do you have anything to say about the problem they're pointing out? Right. Six years of crickets, but now you're speaking up against people who are trying to diagnose and and come to some kind of yeah. solution here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of attacking the messenger, which is it just misses the point. I mean, it's, it's this constant thing of just wanting to just pit people in these different. I mean, just we're, we we don't want to work together to find a common good, find answers together. We just want to pit people on different sides and attack character, and that that's that's mm-hmm. really the saddest part about the whole the whole letter. Yeah. Um, what do you think is ahead for the church in America? Do you see a resurgent, just based on, on your anecdotal experience yeah. and looking at the last, say, 50 years, are you yeah. waiting for a springtime to arrive? Do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? Do you think yeah. the Francis effect is anything other than the terrible loss of Catholics every year? The, according to Pew Research Forum, for every okay. six for every adult convert to the faith through RCIA, there are six who leave. Do you see that yeah. turning around? Um, you know, I, I came into the church during the you know sex abuse crisis, the first one back in two thousand six, and um, and I've met a lot of priests who have been ordained since then. Right, I, I'm of the opinion, you know, perhaps I'm wrong, but I'm of the opinion, you know, opinions are I'm open to be wrong about opinions, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm of the opinion that that the Episcopacy, at mm-hmm. least in the United States, North America, let's say even a lot of South America, Central America, a lot of Europe, right? Um, the Episcopal, the, our leadership, not the mystical body of Christ, not not his church, but mm-hmm. the leadership 
it's just rotten to the core. A lot of it. You have some good priests, but, but pre bishops, but a lot of these, for the most part, they protect each other. They're mm-hmm. quiet. They're waiting around mm-hmm. for the next appointment, um, next you know grant. Um, they protect one another. So, I really don't. I really don't. I really believe that we won't see a true change until every priest who had been ordained um, before. Um, the last first sex abuse crisis is either they mm-hmm. pass away or just formally, formally replaced, functionally replaced. And I think with this new crop of priests that are coming into the church over the last 20 years, I have a lot of hope with them. I really do because I see them. I see how faithful um, they are to the liturgy. And yeah. I'm really impressed by, by these men. And I really hope that, that that's going to be a group that... That brings in, uh, ushers in that springtime, like you said. That's my experience, too. Seminarians and new priests did not fight the second-wave feminism battles. They don't know who Charlie Curran is. They they weren't part of the, the brouhaha over Humana Vitae. They just want the truth. So they're coming at it with, um, I guess... I guess it gives me hope about the millennial generation when you see a seminarian or a priest under the age of 30 who doesn't want to factionalize his faith. This is one of the things that's killing the Church, is the adjectivization of our Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a traditionalist. I'm a conservative. I'm a, I'm a progressive. I'm a social justice. Why can't we just be Catholic and, right. and, and mean it? Yeah. But what's going to be left, Patrick? If, that, if it's that group, what's going to be left when it's, when it's their time to, um, to lead Christ's Church? Well, as... Then Cardinal Ratzinger said it'll be a smaller flock, more on fire. I was thinking about this promise that that Catholics rightly rely on. When Jesus in Matthew 16, I know you know it well, he singles out the least likely guy to be called Peter, right? The rock, Simon Simon the Impulsive. And he says, um, you are, uh, Simon, you're a Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That doesn't mean that the gates of hell won't prevail against you or me. Mm -hmm. It's a corporate promise. It doesn't mean individuals are magically preserved from dying in mortal sin. I mean, that's a whole other conversation of how Catholic preaching has just... This idea formulated by people like Hansers von Balthasar that maybe hell is empty, that dare we hope that all men be saved. Yes, well, it can't be squared with the warnings of Christ about hell. And and the teaching of of approved apparitions like Fatima. Yeah, yeah. Do you find yeah. that that yeah. hell, hell might be empty demotivates evangelization? <laughs> I think so. I think kind that, of kind um, of a softball question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, and a lot of yeah, a lot of other things just uh, takes away ambition to live our life. As courageous, um, audacious, and, and bold Catholics. I mean, there's there's just a lot. Of, like I said, that theology of meh. I mean, it's just just a lot of that. Just a lot of that. Uh, I think I think there was, you know, it was a Tertullian said, you know, that the faith, um, the blood of martyrs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not. We don't. There's not a whole lot of reason why. Catholics in the, the countries we, we've talked about, there's no cost to being a Catholic, right? There's, there's no cost. 
And that's why you can have people who self-identify as Catholic, Nancy Pelosi and, and people like this self-identify as Catholic mm-hmm. um, because there's there's no cost in this identification. Um, I think at a point in time where we, we arrive and perhaps that time is coming, we see it in your, your old country and we see it throughout the world that there's a price to pay if you want to educate your children the right way, if you want to stand fast to the truth or human mm-hmm. sexuality, um, if you want to. There's countries in England. I just seen a man was preaching on the corner, and he was disturbing the peace, so he's arrested. I, the, 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 the the hour is coming when there's going to be a price to pay. Yeah, and we're going to see. I mean, who who who's going to stand there and and not deny Christ? And we'll, we'll see. You don't want ever to ask for persecution. That's a pretty foolish thing to ask for. But if it does come, and I think you're right, I think it, it does seem to be coming as unelected lawyers with black robes called Supreme Court justices can monkey with what large swaths of the electorate want, that is, right. that's that's a bad seed right there. I coined the phrase Catholics, by the way. I just did a thing on Joe Biden practicing Catholic. Liquor of the golden calf, you know. Not uh, not Catholic, but Catholic, <laughs> and there's a long list of them. <laughs> Think of it from um, from Ted Kennedy to to the Kennedy political clan, uh, Kathleen Sebelius. Um, they're almost all Democrat. The only the only active Republican pro choice Catholic that I can think of is Senator Susan Collins from Maine. Um, yeah. Back in the day, you had well, our Schwarzenegger's never really a fully Catholic, but like um, Rhinos or Sinos, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, well, right? yeah, Murkowski, right? Kathleen Sebelius, John Kerry, now Joe Biden, Nancy yeah. Pelosi. They're all, yeah. yeah, they're all. They're not paying the price because they've found yeah. a they've found a way to to imbibe the Pontius Pilate maxim. Pontius yeah. Pilate was personally opposed, but by the yeah. way, you know, you know who came yeah. up with that phrase? Which phrase? Personally opposed, but. Ah, uh, wasn't it? Um, it was it a, a Jesuit? Yeah, very good. Yeah, Father Robert Drynan, uh himself. Right, right, after right, he right. died, he had some molestation accusations leveled that were never never addressed. He was a congressman against church law in uh, Massachusetts, and he's the one credited to put it. Uh, I guess that's a weird way to put it. Yeah, blamed for the Kennedy family converting from pro-life yeah. to pro-choice under this idea that you can be personally opposed, but you don't want to impose Catholic dogma on a, a secular country. It's a total, it's a misunderstanding of what public life as a Catholic is supposed to mean, and it's, it's a false uh, false dichotomy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, one, one thing is important, I think, one, one thing I learned spending time with um, the um, Opus Dei, mm-hmm. in Columbus, they had, Columbus, Ohio, they had those, um, those sessions where you go and spend time and, you know, listen to the lectures and things like that. The idea of believing um, the teachings of the church and incorporating that into your daily life mm-hmm. um, has to be has to be fundamental, and, that, and that's just where they feel they don't incorporate what they believe into their public life. Um, yeah, and, and because of that, they just miss the mark of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be Catholic. Right. Um, so, so here's my closing thing, David. Now, I really appreciate your time. I'm glad you spent time to hang out and talk about what just happened. Finish the sentence. <laughs> I'm Catholic because. The Holy Eucharist. If if it is the case that um, if what the Church teaches about the Holy Eucharist is true, mm-hmm. then no one has any reason to be anything other than Catholic. But if it's wrong, 
mm-hmm. is wrong, then the Catholic Church needs to be destroyed because that that's just demonic. There's no it, middle it ground. No, no middle ground, yeah. right? And so I think it all comes in. That's why I don't debate Protestants. Protestants want to come over. They email me all the time. Hey, let's we want to debate you, you know. I, I, what is what is there to debate about? I'm not going to talk about Sola Scriptura. I'm not going to talk about, you know, grace. I'm not talking about any of this. It's the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. If that, let's have a conversation about that. Because um, if that's right, you have to become Catholic. If it's wrong, I'm not going to be Catholic. I'm not going to stop being Catholic. That, that's just the bottom line. Do you find there's a there's a little parallel? This is something I've noticed. Maybe you have too. Between the claims Christ makes about himself, namely, he's God, you know, before Abraham was, I am. That's a pretty... That's a highfalutin thing, and we could go into the trilemma of C.S. Lewis. He's either lunatic, liar, or Lord. So there's that claim of, of Jesus Christ to be God in the flesh, and then there's the parallel claim, or the claim that flows from that one, and that is that the Eucharist is, in appearances, bread and wine, but in substance, body and blood, soul and divinity. There's no middle ground between the claim of Christ to be divine and the claim of the Church that the Eucharist is the real body and blood. And... As you say, it's and I'm no. I, this, you're the only other person I've ever heard say this. The church needs to be destroyed because it's absolutely diabolical and evil to say that you're supposed to worship bread. That's that's creepy and and terribly okay. wrong. A violation of the first commandment yeah, they, of mortal yeah. sin. I mean, they're saying you could. They're saying you could eat God and be like God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. so either, either that's either that's true and the most powerful thing anybody can say, or we just. I mean. We need to call all the army, armies of the world and just hunt down every Catholic and, and just take him out because that that's an idea that can't continue. Mm-hmm. No one should say you can eat God and be like God. Cannot. Um, that's <laughs> so you're saying you're saying you don't recognize that. <laughs> that's not what's up. <laughs> it is not. It's what's down. Listen, uh, before I, I I'm going to say goodbye just in a moment. I want to remind folks who may not know that my wife and I lead pilgrimages. We're going to Germany next. May, May 17th to 25th, and it's all culminating. Uh, we're going to be at the live Passion Play at Oberammergau. This, this thing is on a lot of people's bucket list. Happens every 10 years. It's a living presentation. Uh, think the Mel Gibson movie, but live. There it is. And that's going to be a trip and a half. We're going to go to Regensburg, Munich. We're going to have Mass in the Carmelite Monastery overlooking the death camp at Dachau. We're going to learn about a guy called Joseph Ratzinger. We're going to be in the church where he was baptized, learn his story and go to uh, Salzburg, where they filmed The Sound of Music. So, uh, Father Willie Raymond is another reason to come. He's uh, leading the the uh, canonization cause for Father Patrick Payton, the family that prays together, stays together. So here's how, here's how to sign up, and this is going to fill up quickly. We've we've got lots of numbers um, leading to the, the first bus, and we don't want to get too big, so patrickhoffman.media slash pilgrimage. That's patrickhoffman.media slash pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. We also open the doors to Coffin Nation this summer. So, David L. Gray, um, get on the get on the waiting list. Uh, everyone else, thanks for joining us. David, any any closing words? Is David L. Um, Gray info the best spot between our viewers and yeah. you? David L. Gray info is where you can find where I'm at. So I appreciate you inviting me on the Patrick Coffin Show, not the Patrick Coffin Show, the Patrick Coffin Show. <laughs> It's or a been awesome. I've, I've I've had work done. I've got a fake mustache going here. I want to, I want someone <laughs> to mistake me for an off-duty cop. And see how that goes. <laughs> awesome, David. Well, um, we'll have to talk about the mass at some point. Maybe maybe have you on the on the other side. But I I'm honored to 
to connect. And uh, David L. Gray Dunfo, you can you can have David speak at your next event. You can um, invite him to debate a Protestant, but he will say no, <laughs> or get any of his growing pastel books. Thanks a lot, brother, and happy Easter to you. All right. Same as you. Okay, take Peace. good care now. Bye bye. Yep.